0: And I'm not talking about how much faith do you have. What I'm talking about is what's the foundation that your faith is is resting on. What is it? What's it based on? Um, because we all need to know that at some point in our life, someone is going to come along and challenge what you believe. Is going to say, "So you call yourself a Christian? What? Well, why? You know, why do you why do you believe in God? What about this? What about this, this, and this? These points that look like evidence." that God doesn't exist or, or, you know, someone's going to come along and challenge you. And if you are in, for example, the media or if you're a university student or if you're in um, the legal profession or any number of other professions these days that are growing, someone, is, you're, going to, you're going to come in contact with someone who probably gets up every morning and their mission in life is to find Christians and tell them that God is not real. There are people like that out there. And so the net result is that around the world today, a lot of people are turning away from their faith. I'm going to give you some statistics in a minute to show you about that. And I I want us as a church to have a a foundation for our faith that is uh, based on a real understanding and to have the capacity to be able to resist those arguments, those fiery darts when they come, because they will come. The word that gets used these days is uh, deconstructors, people who have started off with having a real living faith in God, but something went wrong. They found that their lived experience somehow didn't line up with what they believed the Word of God was saying, so they, they just jettisoned their faith. Now, around the world, I'm telling you, a lot of people are doing this today. And um, let's look at uh, the first slide, this uh, you've all heard of uh, Roy Morgan Research. They're a very respected research firm in Australia. And this these figures come from both the ABS and also Roy Morgan, who did a, has done a 20-year, almost 20-year survey of Australian values, beliefs, and behaviours, okay? That's where this comes from. And you can see that in 1900, about no, almost 100% of Australian society, about 96% of Australians acknowledged that they were christian or had a christian background okay in 1900 by 2003 that had dropped to about 68 percent and in the last 20 years till 2020 that's dropped to 44 percent that's a very significant decline over a almost 20-year period that's happening in the world that's this australia by the way it's happening in australia very significant decline in people who identify as Christian or call themselves Christian at some level. doesn't mean to say they go to church or whatever. Let's go to the next slide. And um, there's actually some encouraging news in this. See those green spots there uh, down the bottom? That's people who are regularly attending churches. So in spite of the fact that people who identify as Christian who are in decline the numbers of people who are actively involved in a church has hardly declined at all. It's almost the same. It's gone from 18% down to 17%, just a very small drop uh, in that figure of all the people who call themselves Christian. We'll go to the next slide, and this is even more interesting. This is about Pentecostal Christians or charismatic churches like, like us, and you can see that I don't have the actual numbers, and it's, it's actually quite difficult to get uh, figures for the real number of Pentecostal or charismatic Christians in Australia. But you can see that from 2003 to 2020, it's actually almost doubled. So what I'm t- saying to you this morning, friends, is that um, while the number of people in society at large out there that call themselves Christian is in significant decline the number of people who are involved in charismatic and Pentecostal churches is actually growing dramatically. So there's this kind of polarization happening. And, uh, you know, the the churches that are uh, proclaiming the message of Jesus and where people are encountering the power of God and the reality of God, they're growing. They're moving forward quite powerfully. And uh, we are as well. Actually, we've, we've gone up about, you know, like mightn't see it today, but about 50% since we moved into this building in six months. So, um, you know, that's, that's really encouraging to see. But I want to share with you this morning about the society at large, because what's going on in our society and in our culture that's causing people who once called themselves Christian to not call themselves Christian now? It's really important we understand this because there's a lot of people out there that are struggling in this area. And I want to share with you this morning some things about science and about culture and about faith so that we can get an understanding of some of these things. Why is the idea the idea of being in a Christian so much in decline in our society at large? Some of the reasons in brief before we uh, move on. Number one, is the breakdown of family life. Now researchers have demonstrated I'm not going to go quoting things, and, and, but I was just to say that that when the family is not as strong as it used to be, the idea of passing values down and Christian experience down from one generation to the next doesn't really work. And you think about it for a moment. if you don't like your parents or you don't get along with your parents, the idea of embracing their faith or their Christianity, so to speak, it's, it's a lot less likely. And it's, it's a real thing. It's a real thing today in society. Second thing is the forces in academia, or we'll say higher education, that are hostile to Christianity. Now, you need to know, friends, that uh, in, university, in our universities at large a- across the country and, and around the world, Uh, there's a lot of people that not only atheist or anti-christian but don't want their students to become christians as well and look this has a lot to do with philosophy philosophy affects the way people think the way people act and what was what's been happening over the last couple of hundred years affects the way people think right now and in the last couple of hundred years the 18th and the 19th century, there were a multitude of philosophers that started denouncing Christianity. They said, so, oh, we don't want to believe that. We are, this is the age of reason. This is the age of enlightenment. This is the, we, we believe in science now. We are evidence-based. We don't need God. And, and so it culminated in this guy called Frederick Nitschke, who you might have heard of, who famously pronounced, God is dead. In 1882, Nitschke said, God is dead. And it became a real catch cry of that generation. The funny thing is that shortly after that, Nitschke died. And I can report today that God is actually doing okay now. He actually recovered and he's doing okay now. But not long, well, in 1966, Time Magazine and the New York Times both ran major articles questioning and saying is god dead it's the same sort of thing we need to appreciate folks that these kind of inputs to our contemporary culture and society have a big effect and a big impact on the world and the way it lives the if you look at uh, research in in the u.s uh, of all the students coming into colleges and universities in america of all the ones that say they are born again christians after four years, and they're about to graduate, less than half of those that group say they are now born-again Christians. I want to tell you that universities are a major place in the world for people to jettison their faith. It's happening as we speak in our country. The third thing is um, the f- reason why people abandon their faith. And look, there are many, many reasons for this. I'm only picking out a few, the, uh, the easy ones to understand, the low-hanging fruit today. But there are many other reasons. But um, the view that people take of God that works when the sun is shining, when God is meeting all my needs, when everyone likes me, when I feel good about myself. There are a lot of people that, that say, I'm a Christian, so long as God does everything that I want Him to do for me, but when the wheels start falling off, their, their theology and their Christianity can't really cope with that. They they haven't built into their life a theology that works when things are not working out, when when they're having tough times. And so it's really important for us as a church that we can understand these things. And I just love so much that course we've many of us have just been through called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which, which gave a clear basis for that, to understand that when, when you can't hear God's voice and when you're up against a wall and you don't know what's going on and you're really struggling, God has not abandoned you. He's still there. He's waiting for you to learn to trust Him at a deeper level, actually. And so I, I want to get more, come back to this. I'm going to come back to this and talk a lot about this subject as we move forward. But it's so important. We've got a theology that can handle the tough times because good times are wonderful. You know. We all love the good times, but we will all experience tough times at some point in our life. And so the last thing is, in some parts of the Western world, um, a generation of people have never experienced revival so people even that have maybe grown up in a Christian home, uh, maybe uh, yeah, as a young person embraced uh, you know, uh, the Bible and uh, or even a relationship with God, but they, the way things were, they never really saw the power of God at work. I want to tell you, friends, when God really moves in the church and in people's lives, I'll tell you what happens is everything gets recalibrated. When, when revival happens, when you see the power of God poured out, you see people's lives being radically changed and transformed. We change our perspectives on things, and we, we recalibrate our lives. And I just love that. And, you know, Dale and I, we've been so blessed over the years because we've been through a number of, like, waves of that. And uh, it just it changes your perspective, and you can never go back to the way you were before. Okay, so here we go. So why believe in God? Or how do we know there even is a God? Or... Is there a strong basis for faith in a world that is progressively rewriting our history books and rewriting, uh, you know, our popular culture so that God does not appear in there? That's where we're living right now. You and I are living in that kind of a world. How do we have a basis for our faith in that kind of a world? I want to share some things with you this morning. Number one. God is is very rational. Believing in God is very, very rational. And I want you to get a hold of this today. I want to share some things today. Number one, let's talk about science and the Bible for a little bit this morning. You know, there are a lot of people who believe that uh, science and the Bible are incompatible. They, They don't really work together. That science is rational, in other words, based in reason and evidence and the Bible is a fairy tale reserved for people who are given to delusions or who need a crutch or people who don't want to face the facts in life. There are a lot of people who think that, uh, that the Bible is a fairy tale and science is rational. So therefore, we're going to go with science. Uh, I, I listen to the radio a little bit, I must say, and I, you know, I hear it quite a lot. People say, oh, I'm going to go with the science or things like, oh, the science is settled. Not much science is really settled, folks, I have to tell you. <laughs> In fact, true science always involves debate and alternate views. And when someone says that science is settled, they re- what they're really saying is, we want to protect these particular opinions and views so that no one else can challenge them. Sometimes that happens because of political reasons. But we're not going to go there today. So, number one. <laughs> I'd like to, but we're not going to go to Science itself, listen to this, friends. Science itself... Oh I'm not having I love science, and uh, I've just spent the last 13 years of my life in research and development in a technology field and I, I love science and technology, and, and I want to encourage you if you want to study science or you know anything, just just go and do it. it's, it's wonderful. But science itself is not 100 percent rational. it's not entirely rational. Here's a question for us today: Why is there so much? research going on in the world today, why is there? Uh, you know, in the last um, 20 years, global investment in research and development has more than tripled from about 600 and nearly 700 billion to 2.2 trillion dollars. Now, that's a, big do- that's a big amount. In the world, someone has concluded that about over 2 trillion dollars is being spent on research and development. Why is that? Why are we putting so much resource into this? I'll tell you what, it's very simple. We're trying to figure out the things that we don't know. Now, does that tell you something about what we know and what we don't know? It's telling you today that we know some things, but there's a lot of stuff we don't know yet. We're trying to figure it out. And we're putting 1000000000000s not billions, trillions of dollars into trying to figure out what we don't know now i'm not trying to demean or anything like that uh, the knowledge and and the bible says that in the last days knowledge will increase exponentially and it's absolutely happening and it's it's amazing and wonderful so it can be argued that science and technology are inventing some new ways of doing things and it's you know it's it's amazing it's fantastic and it's all good inventing science and technology are inventing Some new ways of doing things. But I want to say to you this morning, friends, at the real frontiers of science and the frontiers of discovery, the real frontiers of discovery, quantum physics, biology, the space sciences, all of these areas, do you know what's happening? We are discovering what God invented. That's a profound truth. We are discovering what God invented. I just want you to think for a moment. I mentioned biology a moment ago. Think for a moment about birds that sense the Earth's magnetic field as a way of navigating their migration routes every year. Now, scientists believe this is happening, that they are sensing the changes in the Earth's magnetic field, but they don't know how birds do it yet. We're trying to work it out. And I was reading about... Uh, some of this, the Arctic Tern, who is the champion or the hero of all migration studies, travels about 40,000, some say 40,000, some say up to 60,000 kilometers every year from the Arctic region down to the Antarctic. They, they spend the summer in the Arctic region, okay, in the Arctic Sea and, and that region, you know, and then when it, when it starts to really cool down, they travel down to the Antarctic for the summer down there. So the Arctic tern is always, that, it just goes where the sun is always shining. They're pretty smart, hey. They travel about 50,000 kilometers a year, every year for 30 years. Now, that's a lot of kilometers in anyone's book. I, just, I was reading about the Tasmanian mutton bird, uh, which is Australia's most abundant seabird, and it travels about 30,000 kilometers a year from... Tasmania and regions below that up to in the north northern part of the world. And it comes back and it nests in exact. it comes back to the same burrow every year in Tasmania. Well, how do they do that? So, you know, we, we are trying to work some of these things out. And Jesus said, he said, look at the birds. Look at the birds to find out how much God cares about you. And elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, it says, go and study the ants to learn about how to be industrious. Um, and then it, then it says later on, it says, go and study the locusts and the lizards and learn some other amazing things about creation. So, the, you know, the Bible is not meant to be a biology textbook, but it's meant to awaken our senses to the amazement and the wonder of what God has created. And I want to encourage you, you know, have a sense of wonder at what God has done because He is amazing. And he has done. And we are discovering what God has invented and created. So Colossians chapter 2 is a great scripture. I talked about astronomy briefly. and I talked about biology. And it says, you don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without Him. But that's true. You take God out of the world, it's a pretty empty place. When you come to Him, that fullness comes together for you. His power extends over everything. So God is wanting us to discover not only the wonder of our world around us, but the wonder of it from God's perspective. When we put Jesus right there in the middle, that's why we always say we want to be as a church. We want to put Jesus in the center of everything we do. Another way of translating the next scripture, if we go to the next one is Colossians two verse three. It says this: It says, "I want you woven into a tapestry of love in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you'll have minds confident and rest and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery." So the, another translation says. All all the wisdom and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So, friends, I want to say getting close to Jesus, you want to you want to know about the world's knowledge, you want to know about what's really happening in the world. Get closer to God and you're gonna find out more about that. And I and I say here today, friends, don't let anyone ever tell you that as a Christian, you have closed your mind. That's not true. If you're a believer. If you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower here today, and you've got a a faith in in God and a belief that God is the creator of the world and He's ruling over the affairs of this world, don't let anyone tell you you've closed your mind because you are a, quote, religious person at all. In fact, the, the reality is you are standing on the edge of all the knowledge and wisdom there is. The vast expanse of God's knowledge and wisdom is at your fingertips today. So don't let anyone put you down and say you're a, you're a narrow-minded person. You are not. You are not. I love this verse in Jeremiah 33, verse 3. It says, God says, Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. There are many treasures in, of God's wisdom and knowledge that we need to seek Him for. And say, God, show me. How does this work? How, do, how does this work? And I want to tell you, many of the great inventors of history... and the the greatest scientific minds were Christian people who sought God and said, God, show me, how does this work? I love the next one, Deuteronomy 29. It says, the secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us. So God is saying, for yeah, call to me and I'll show you some amazing things. I'm not going to show you everything, though. There are some things that I'm reserving and there are some things that I'm going to show you. God says, call to me. And I'll show you what you need to know right now. Second thing, Christianity. So we talked about science in the Bible. Christianity makes moral and ethical sense. And it's important we get a hold of this today because the Christian faith is good for you. The Christian faith is good for you. In uh, the US National Bureau of Economic Research produced a paper called Is Religion Good For You? And it says this. And there, there have been other other studies done. Uh, about religion and, and Christian faith. So Doubling, this is what a, a, a recognized American Research Bureau says, doubling the rate of religious attendance raises household income by 9.1%, almost 10%. That's pretty freaky. If you came to church twice as often, statistically, your income would go up by 10%. Now, to me, that I didn't invent that, by the way. You look it up for yourself. That's, that, to me, sounds like a great idea to start tithing, doesn't it? You know? uh, this this is, this, is a secular, this is secular research, folks. This is not some church guy saying you should just come to church more often. Going to church, if you double your rate of church, we need to put more meetings on here. <laughs> we need to have a, a night service. I came to the night service. <laughs> and we will, and we will. Doubling the rate of church attendance raises household income by almost 10%, secular researchers. It also decreases welfare participation by 16% from baseline rates. It decreases the odds of being divorced by 4%, and it increases the odds of being married by 4.4%. That's obviously because you're hanging around with more people of marriageable age and so on. But... um, that's, that's secular research which says religious faith is healthy and good for you. So, so let's understand. Christianity makes ethical and moral sense. Now, there's a, there's a major re- correlation also, another study, between religious belief and happiness. It makes you happier. Being a Christian makes you happier. Now, you need, it's important to know this. Um, This guy, Charles Murray, who's a political scientist, uh, has a PhD, cites numerous sociological studies to show religious people are happier. In fact, one 20-year study in the US again says the happiest people across all the other variables that they studied were those who not only had a, a religious faith, but they also combined that with practice. In other words, they not only believed in God, but they actually actively carried it out and, and they, they did something about their faith. Those were the happiest group of all the people that they studied across all the variables. Here's something else. What about the idea of decency? Now I'm I'm sharing this because every one of us here will encounter people who claim to be atheists who don't believe in God or that God don't believe God exists. Okay. What about the idea of decency? Here's a question. Every human being has some uh, intuitive or instinctive sense that there is a choice between right and wrong and that there is a conscience built into them. Now, there are some people who, through you know, progressively searing their conscience, seem to don't have much of a sense of right and wrong. But basically, everyone on the face of the earth has a conscience built into their life. And for many, there's a sense also that this uh, sense of right and wrong comes from outside of us. Here's a question. Where does that voice of conscience come from? Where does it come from? Uh, Is it just socialization from our upbringing or whatever? Everyone has got some sense that there is a choice between right and wrong. If you want to study that from an evolutionary perspective, you'll discover that in evolution, a lot of the choices that we make um, due to our Basic grasp of morality in built sense are quite different to what you would make if you just followed evolutionary urges. Because under evolution, the urges is basically procreation and killing off everybody else so you can do your own thing. That's what evolution teaches. So it's a completely different uh, ethical and moral framework. Uh, What I'm saying here today doesn't actually work under evolution. So, Romans chapter 2. Verse 15 says this, When outsiders who've never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There's something deep within them, outsiders here, not not believers, but something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no Right and wrong. So in the Bible, we learn that there is a conscience built into every one of us. It's just built in. God put it there. God put it there. Thirdly, I'm nearly finished. Christianity is the cornerstone of human rights. Now, uh, someone hearing that is going to say, well, yeah, what about this? What about this? You know, I know that there are some aberrations some outliers of human history that seem to suggest otherwise but i want to tell you this friends christianity rightly understood and entered into as a relationship with a living and loving god true christianity is the foundation stone i say with absolute confidence the foundation stone of human rights you know in in almost all civilizations ancient civilizations they have stories about origins where the world came from and usually it's a conflict between these frightful sort of gods and their warring entities and something went wrong with the conflict and all of a sudden the world was created it was a story of mass chaos usually if you study ancient civilizations and so on and then when science comes along and attempts to explain origins it invariably defaults to the Big Bang Theory, which is another story of chaos, you know, as well. guess what? The book of Genesis, the Bible, um, God's story of origins is completely rational. It's It's the opposite. It says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created with his words, and that principle continues on all the way through the Bible. Moses speaks to the rock. You know, Jesus speaks to the storm and, and God is creating all the way through with words, with speech. It's what the way God does. It's not chaotic. It's very ordered and very rational. Throughout history, empires have been built on the domination of a weaker population by a stronger one all the way through. That's the way empires have been built throughout human history. Here's the thing. The Genesis account that God created humanity in his own likeness to be like him, has been called the most powerful statement in favor of universal human rights that the ancient world ever saw. In other words, never before had anyone seen the idea that God who created the world made people to be like him. That gives them inherent value. That means people, everyone has got value. Not just you, but your neighbor And the people you don't like. And the people that abused and offended you. God created them to be like him. They have value as well. Don't get caught into cancel culture, will you? Like people don't exist because we don't like them. Don't get caught up in that. Don't don't ever buy into that at all. So God says, I created people to be like me in my image. That means they have inherent value. So under Christianity, for the first time, even slaves... Like there were servants in the Bible, there are servants and there were slaves. You know, God's not promoting the idea of slavery, but it's a reality of life. Even slaves were seen as having an immortal destiny and a unique personal relationship with God. Now, that had never been seen in the ancient world before until God started, God gave his law to Moses. Let's read it Exodus 20, verse 8 Observe the Sabbath day. This is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, right? Observe. The Sabbath day to keep it holy, work six days and do everything you need to do. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to God, your God. Don't do any work on that day. Not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servant, nor your mate. What? Your servant? That 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 word can equally be translated slave. By the way, so what it's saying is I'm going I'm going I'm having a day off. Okay, today, but um, and, and my my servants they're going to have a day off as well. What? I want them to do the work so I can rest. God said, everyone, even your servants, has a day off. This had never been heard of before. It was revolutionary. It was so radical that it took them a while to get their head around it. But God is saying that humans have got inherent personal value because they're made in the image of God. What does that mean for me in 2022? Well, firstly, let's not miss. What, what he's saying here, that you and I all need a day off. A day, it says, keep it holy. Recognize that this day that God created, a day to make holy, which means separate. It means unique. It means uh, s- separated as being something special. A unique, one-of-a-kind day. Have a day. You now, I, I think that some of us here would be quite challenged by that probably. Um, I am. I'm challenged by that. But we need to think about this, that God designed that in the system that we would have a day off. Okay, second thing is, um, what does it mean? It's, it's what, what's written in, in, as a church in our value statement, which says all people have value because they're made in the image of God. And we want to hold to that, that when someone walks in the door, if they don't dress like your dress, they don't talk like you talk or, or whatever. They don't look like you. Uh, they, they've got value exactly the same way as you. So we, all, all of us here, need to appreciate that and go and bless that person and welcome them and encourage them because they are made in the image of God exactly the same way as you are. That's a statement about human rights. That's a statement about God's profound love for humanity that He created. As we, as we close, I just want to say here this morning, friends, that to know god is to love him And we've talked about some rational reasons why we should have faith things that we can ground our faith on today some arguments against atheism actually but i want to tell you friends that there's no nothing like experiencing god's love for you and knowing that he's in your life and in your heart i'm gonna ask our creative team to come back uh, if they can but to know God, the starting point is believing in Him. You've you got to start to believe, and, and that's why some people don't know God. The Bible says, when you start believing in Him, in Him, then you start knowing Him. Paul, The Apostle Paul said to his young disciple, Timothy, he says, I know the one whom I have believed. I started off believing in Him, and I've progressively come to know Him more and more more of his grace, more of his love, more of his power in, in my life. And I, I love what Jesus said to uh, the, the woman at that little Sumerian village called Sychar. He said, um, he said to her, if, if you knew the goodness of God and who I am, your life would be changed, would be radically changed. If you just knew the, how good God is and who I am, Jesus said, your life would be different. And so I want to say to you this morning, friends, that knowing God and, and welcoming Him into your life is the, is the transformational point where everything changes. And then everything I've been talking about this morning starts to make sense. It starts to come together because you've opened up your life to God right now. We're going to just read one more scripture as we close this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it's talking about, again, the Apostle Paul And he's talking about how God shines in our heart. It says, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness, who created the world, the the same God who created the world and made light shine. He said, He's the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person of Jesus. So, So what it's saying is that God wants to shine in your heart today.